Two quick notes before the show. Thank you for sending all your friendship story ideas and questions for this season. You give us a lot to chew on, and I really feel like this season is a collaboration with everybody who wrote in. And one topic we got a lot of questions about was how to make friends as an adult. So we're teaming up with author and connection coach Kat Velos for a virtual event on Thursday, November 18th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to be fast-paced and interactive, kind of like platonic speed dating. Hopefully, you'll walk away with some tools for sustaining and cultivating new connections. Tickets are on sale today and are probably going to sell out fast. So if you're interested, head to nprpresents.org to register for the Here to Make Friends event and get more information. Also, a heads up that today's episode includes strong language and descriptions of sexual activity. From NPR, this is Invisibilia. I'm Kia Miakonatis. And I'm Yoe Shaw. So we're going to start today with a song I love about a friendship dilemma that is really at the heart of what this episode is all about. Okay. It's by this artist named Moses Sumney. The song is called In Bloom. And it's about this really beautiful and awkward tension that can show up in a friendship. So I'm going to play you my favorite part. I know. And he says, sometimes I want to kiss my friends. But then you hear that there's this like tonal shift in the music and he sort of backpedals on it. You don't want that, do you? You just want someone to listen to you. Who ain't trying to So he says, you just want someone to listen to you who ain't trying to screw you. Yeah, I mean, it feels like there's some universal law of friend dynamic. Mm. Once physical intimacy is involved, somebody's going to get hurt. And it's, like, hard to stay friends. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because usually somebody likes somebody more than the other person. Yeah, I get why people wouldn't want to risk it. I mean, whenever you introduce physical intimacy to any relationship, but especially a friendship, it can feel like things are going to change and maybe in a way that you don't want it to. Mm -hmm. Some people know how to do friends with benefits and make it work. But for a lot of people, it's hard. You know, there's this fear that the relationship is going to change and we might feel pressure to get on this thing called the relationship escalator. What's that? So... For a second, let's just imagine an escalator. Okay. It's a metal staircase. Okay. It moves in one direction. There's only room for like two people generally. You know, if you want to get off, you can't get off in the middle. Like you're just going and going and going. So think about that that force of the escalator and apply that to relationships. Mm. You start dating someone and your lives become increasingly intertwined, become sexually and emotionally intimate. 
all of a sudden you have no choice but to ride to the top. You commit to one another, you choose monogamy, you get married and have a kid. And ideally, if it's a so-called successful escalator ride, you'll do it till death do you part. It's funny that, like, the place where you go is you die. I know, I know. It's not my rule. This idea of the relationship escalator is popular in the polyamory community to try to name and critique this very popular social script around romantic relationships. I know that script, like, if I'm being honest, has absolutely shaped my life. Yeah. I'm sure I've given stupid advice to, like, my friends before. Yeah, exactly. It's like, even if you could see the idea is outdated, it's so powerful that it can make any physical interaction between friends feel high stakes. Oh my gosh, totally. But what if you want to cross the line with a friend and not get on the relationship escalator? Like, what else could be possible? But also, how do you avoid people getting hurt? Today, I have two stories. We're just going to sit and marinate in the gray zone of friendship and sexuality. One from a guy who hooked up with some friends and thinks he owes them some apologies. And another from two best friends who have been having sex for years with no regrets. Hmm, that's spicy. <laughs> okay, Kia, take it away. A lot of people want to ride the relationship escalator, but when they try, find it's a struggle. That's what it was like for one of our listeners who wrote to us, Kurt Fariska. When he looked at the women around him, he saw potential. I thought of them as really good friends that could blossom into something more. When Kurt was younger, he kept trying to get on the relationship escalator with different female friends again and again, kind of living up to his childhood nickname, Kurt the Flirt. And he had a strategy. Friends first, and then more one-on-one time, an exclusive one-on-one time, and even indications of affection. So holding hands, cuddling, those types of things. Kurt made a list of all the friends this happened with. He counted 11 women. With some, it was just a casual physical thing. Every now and then, we would hook up, not past second base. But with the others, it seemed more serious, living together, appearing as if they were a couple. So we'd go on couples trips. We would share rooms if there was a sharing room situation. They could even be playful about it. And we even joined a gym together under a couple's relationship. (laughs) But somehow, he kept getting stuck at the same level. And I really struggled with it. And in my head, it was well, maybe you're not attracted to her in that way. Kurt felt like he failed at the relationship escalator multiple times. But then, by the time he was in his mid-30s, he came to the conclusion... It's because I was gay. It took Kurt a long time to acknowledge this. He came of age in the early 2000s when gay marriage hadn't been legalized yet, and just watching two gay characters kiss on TV was considered major progress. So... Even when Kurt suspected he was gay, he kept getting on the escalator with women to hide his sexuality from himself and from others. But eventually, he came out, and now, when he talks to other gay men about those failed escalator attempts with women, it's almost funny. I've been in multiple conversations where it's like, how far have you gone with a a woman? And, you know, we sort of laugh about it or tease each other about who's gone the furthest, who hasn't. How does one measure in like what's a good or bad measurement? Yeah, I mean, I I 
I never went too far. So if we're rounding bases, you know, like second base was, I was a solid double every time, like get it into the outfield. I could at least get on second base. And then I was like, yeah, this is a good position to, to, to be in. Mm, second base. I'm pretty sure that's copping feels, right? Anyway, one of those conversations with his gay friends happened earlier this year, and Kurt left feeling unsettled. He kept thinking about those complicated rides, who he was with on those rides. He had a revelation. There's somebody else having the opposite side of that conversation, and it probably sounds a little bit different than in our circles. Those people he was telling stories about, they were his friends, and they didn't know these escalator rides were serving another purpose, to help Kurt appear straight. And so when he thinks about their experience, he can imagine that maybe there's some hurt there. I was lying to a bunch of people. I was lying to myself. I was lying to family and to friends. But it's almost like the the worst lie was to people that I was bringing into that lie and using them as a shield so that I didn't have to face that lie to anybody else, including myself. (laughs) And I have never acknowledged that with them in that manner. When Kurt heard our call out for our season on friendship, he started thinking about some of his closest friends and this part of their friendship that they never talked about. Now, in his 40s with a husband and a son, Kurt wants to apologize. Not for being gay, but for the way he used his friends, leading them on, getting them on the escalator ride to nowhere. He sent us an email about how he wanted to apologize to them, and he invited us along. I'm going to have to say some things that are a little bit terrifying for me to say. There's also this wanting to apologize, but having zero expectation that one, that apology needs to be accepted, or that there is this experience that I think happened on the other side. Um, Yeah, because that was a a big question of like, well, maybe like he'll reach out to all these women and they'll be like, that's not how I experienced it. And so I'm glad that you you are aware of that being a factor of like you you are placing yourself inside of your narrative. But when we go to these other people, you're going to be placed inside of theirs, you know, and so their perspective of you and what happened could vary wildly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Kurt was ready to have someone else be the protagonist in the story he'd been replaying in his head for years, come what may. And though I was curious about this journey Kurt was inviting me on, I had a lot of conflicting thoughts. Like, was this all about him? But what draws me to Kurt is he's honest about himself. He understands that some might view his behavior as selfish, and he has no idea if any of these women want to revisit the past. Of the 11 women on the list, there are three he really wants to talk to because he still considers them close friends. Each of these women got to the point where they needed to unwind themselves from the tangled and ambiguous friendship, scaling back their hangouts with Kurt. Because she had a boyfriend. Or telling Kurt off. She had said something along the lines of, this always happens on your terms. Or moving hundreds of miles away, supposedly for a new job. And she's like... Hey, you idiot, I have feelings for you. (laughs) These are the moments that haunt Kurt. There was no doubt in my mind at that time, I was the reason for her pain. Now he wants to be the person he couldn't be back then. To listen more, to apologize. So I began reaching out to these women. 
Kurt was optimistic, and I was too. They seemed interested and open. But then, one woman who we felt sure would do it, she caught me and Kurt by surprise with a firm no. She seemed kind of upset. That one will take some time. And then, a second friend said no to recording the conversation. I understand her rationale for not wanting to do it as well. You're bringing up old stuff that maybe people thought was resolved. Not gonna lie, those no's were discouraging. But there was one person left. Someone who didn't go as far up on the relationship escalator as the other two. And she was willing to have the conversation. I mean, truth be told, I have had a pit in my stomach about it. I think about it right before I go to bed, which is ideally not the time to think about stuff like this is right before you are trying to go to sleep. After the break, Kurt and an old friend rehash the past and try to figure out where things went sour. Yoe Shaw here, co-host of NPR's Invisibilia podcast. We need your help for an upcoming episode. We want to know, what do you only talk to your closest friends about? You know, like your guilty pleasures, your embarrassing sex dreams, or that weird bump on your skin? Send a voice memo to invisibiliamail at npr.org, and we may feature it in an upcoming episode. That's invisibiliamail at npr.org. Thanks so much. The one friend who agreed to talk to Kurt, her name is Kay Robinson. Are you nervous about talking to Kay? Uh, no, no, not necessarily. No, no. Um, yeah, let me say, that's, that's a lie. Yes, I think that part of what, what I'm nervous about is it's not like people like to go back to a place where they were hurting or felt pain and to revisit that. If that's something that you moved on from, like you've moved on, you know, it's been, it's been years, years ago. Kurt's nervousness surprised me. He usually has a can do enthusiasm like the former boy scout that he is. And I'm pretty sure he and Kay are still close. They're practically family. We'll get into that later. Sure enough, when they both get on screen the next day, they fall into an easy rapport. Something short of siblings, but closer than the average friends who don't live in the same state anymore. So uh, we used to have a, a joke that when Kurt started brushing his teeth, then we knew the party was over. It was time for us all to leave. Okay, that wasn't a joke, and it's still true to this day, except <laughs> for sure. now it happens about 8 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. Before we get to the apology, it helps to know where their friendship started. 20 years ago with the perfect meet cute, her panties. It was 2001, and Kurt had just moved to Ohio from Western Pennsylvania, where he'd lived his whole life. Kurt was moving into the room where Kay lived, but she hadn't moved out yet. She called me and she's like, feel free to move all my stuff out of the way. Well, she had um, laundry on her bed right before she had left, so it was still on her bed, and it was her undergarments. And so I'm sitting there. I was like, no, I'll just wait to get back. So I slept on the couch for the first couple days that I was there. But that was my first intro for Kay. 
Eventually, the underwear owner returned in the flesh. Kay is so popular and likable, she's like a natural force of friendship. She is somebody who is just the life of anywhere that she goes. When she comes in, it is like the Tasmanian devil, you know, whatever's in his tornado cloud, hers is people. You might say the same about Kurt. Grad school Kurt was outgoing and inclusive, the type of person who'd invite everyone to everything, a plus one that just kept plussing. So they were similar in that way, both people persons. And that was a little bit attractive for both of them. A spark was there. You know, we had been flirtatious for a long time, but nothing relationship flirtatious, more just like, oh yeah, this would be fun. A few months after they first met, Kurt introduced Kay to just how fun he could be. It was a Halloween party and Kay was wearing a candy necklace. Kurt, he wanted to taste. He was like, I'm going to have some, eat some of your candy necklace. And I was like, okay. And I kind of pulled it away thinking like he was going to like take it in a, no, he just went right from my neck and start like eating these things and like <laughs> centrally like, like massage, like kissing my <laughs> neck, I guess. And I was like, what is happening? Later, Kay sent me a photo of this moment. In it, her face looks less like a question and more like a statement. Wow. Her mouth is open, her eyes are closed, and Kurt's hand is wrapped at the base of her neck. You can't even see his face. It's just buried in there. I'm not going to lie, it's pretty hot. You can tell it escalated from a flirty kiss on the neck to maybe slipping a little tongue. That was the first time that we ever like made out at this party. So we were in this corner, and then we thought it'd be really fun to just go do it in front of everybody. Because then everyone's like, what is going on with these two? Because <laughs> we were just... The most random team for this to be going on with. From then on, making out at parties was their thing. Kurt still remembers Kay as a great kisser, and it was something they both enjoyed. These makeouts were also a little social gimmick, a party trick maybe, that they pulled out to throw their friends, sometimes on the dance floor, sometimes in the backseat of a car. It was fun and salacious, and though they were friends, they agreed that they could be more if they needed to. They made a marriage pact. If they didn't make it to the top of the escalator with anybody else by age 30, they'd take the ride with each other. This little game they played, making out, it lasted for a few years until one night at Kurt's place when they got in a fight that was so bad, they didn't talk for months. This is the moment that Kurt's here to apologize for. It happened one night at Kurt's very nice and very cheap apartment near the airport. He was, of course, having a party, and somehow he and Kay found themselves in a room alone. Here's how Kurt explains it. You know, I remember that night that you were interested in making out a little, and I, you know, I pushed you away. However, Kay has a much more vivid recollection of that night. Even the pushing away, like, and we should let everybody know on this podcast, when I say push away, I mean he physically pushed me into a wall. As Kay explains her memory of that night to Kurt, she remembers that they quickly kissed earlier in the night, and she'd assume that maybe they'd kiss more later, like they do. And so when she found Kurt later that night in his room, laid out across his bed. I, like, make a move, and you're like, nope. And I was like, Kurt, stop. And you were like, no, Kay, for real. And you, like, pushed me into a wall. Like, I hit the wall. And I remember coming out. I said, Kurt's such an asshole. I'm so fucking done with him. And I, like, jetted out the door. Um, 
and I drove home and I was I was so pissed the whole time. I was I was just so mad. Kay's anger was a blanket, covering other feelings she wasn't sure she was ready to feel yet. I mean, I was, of course, embarrassed. There's that part. Rejection can feel crappy, but especially when it feels unexpected and a little mean. Like, they're just the, like, the literally hitting of a wall. Like, are you kidding me right now? You know, like five seconds ago, you were trying to make off me on the couch, but now all of a sudden you don't want to. It felt like Kurt was making up the rules of their friendship and leaving Kay in the dark about just what was and wasn't okay. I was more pissed because we were friends and I thought we were better friends than that and that you would quote unquote use me whenever you want it to make out. But whenever I want to do something, it was like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, this is not what Friends of Benefits supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a reciprocal relationship. That night at Kurt's house, it revealed an imbalance in what Kay thought was a happy and sometimes a little bit horny friendship. Back then, grad school Kurt couldn't articulate what went wrong and why. But he did feel bad, and he tried to talk to Kay the next day. She didn't want to hear it. And for months, she avoided him, wouldn't look him in the eye when they passed each other on campus. I remember remember not talking to you for a long time because I was just so hurt that it had to be on your terms. With time, they put that night at the party behind them, though they never directly talked about what had happened. It was easier to leave things unsaid, so that's what they did. They became friends again. But this time, friends who don't make out. Kay still remembers back in 2008 when Kurt tried to explain, in his own way, what went wrong that night at his apartment. He said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And I knew what, I knew exactly what you were trying to do. It was another party, this time in a barn, for Kay. She was moving away. And Kurt pulled her aside to talk. And you said, remember, you remember those times I always would push you away? And I was like, yeah. And you're like, well, there was a reason for that. I said, okay. And I said, well, what is it? And you just kept, like, we're looking around. I was like, I said, you can just say it, Kurt. And you're like, no, I can't. I was like, yes, you can. It's me. And you were like, I can't say it out loud. I can't say it. I said, well, I'm not going to say it. It's your story. So you have to say it to me if you want to say it to me. And you said, well, I think that maybe I, and I just kept looking at you. I was not letting you get it. Because then you kept, then you went into like your defense shutdown mode that you do sometimes. And you were like, no, 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 never mind. We'll just talk about it later. I go, Kurt, I'm literally moving tomorrow. So you need to tell me now before I move away. And I said, I know what you want to say. You just need to say it. You know, I love you. I don't care what you tell me. And then I remember you, you didn't get like emotional because you, you know, you're, you're Kurt, you rarely show emotion, but you like kind of got verklempt and you said, I think that maybe I just don't like girls. And you just would not say, you still never said it. You never actually said the word gay. You just said, I think that's all I can say right now. And I said, okay. I said, well, you know, I love you. And I give you a big old hug. Kurt tells Kay that this conversation at the barn was meant to be an explanation for the night he pushed her away. You know, using those words, I I was untelling the lie. I was, you know, so I was making that right, Mm -hmm. and simultaneously, without having to apologize, trying to make the other part right. Like, see, I didn't mean to hurt you, it was because of this. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that was fair. Kurt didn't permanently untell the lie. For him, coming out was a little bit like a turtle poking its head out. And after that night, Kurt went back into his shell, pretending to be straight. It made everything very confusing when I watched him in these other relationships, you know, throughout after he told me, I was like, what is he doing? And so at that point, it was a little hard for me to 
kind of confront him about it. She watched as Kurt continued to date women and have these borderline romantic friendships. All the while, Kay kept his secret. I remember other people having peripheral conversations with me about it. Like they would ask me about it. Has Kurt ever told you anything? I was like, no. I just, I just always like, I'm never gonna, I'm, this is not my story to tell. So I'm never gonna say, I just was always like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Kay had gone from being unwittingly a part of his performance of straightness. Now, whether she wanted to or not, she was a co-conspirator in keeping his secret. It meant a lot to Kurt that Kay took that on. Just telling you as much as I told you was so freeing and liberating. It was like, finally somebody that I could confide in and I knew I could trust you. By 2015, Kurt had finally accepted his sexuality. It literally was me looking in a bathroom mirror and I just start laughing at myself. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you like guys. Like, that's that's who you are. Coming out was a mixed bag. It was a relief for Kurt to accept himself. But he had to stop being the person he'd been all his life and reintroduce everyone to who he really was. It was a lot of change. It wasn't until this year that Kurt really started to think about the perspective of his friends who were affected by his time in the closet. The whole being in the closet was to protect myself. I get that. But there, there, there are other people involved. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't extricate those. So that's why I wanted to do this part, was to amend for hurting you. Specifically, there's this thing Kay said to him when he tried to apologize the day after the incident. It only happened on my terms. And it stuck with him like a barnacle on a ship. I don't think I ever apologized for that part. And the thing was, is that you were exactly right. In all of those relationships that I had while I was closeted, it was on my terms. Mm -hmm. And whether I knew it consciously or subconsciously, you know, it was a protective piece. But I, I want to acknowledge and apologize for it. One, that I lied to you during that period of time. And then the second piece is that, that you, you were right. And I'm sorry that I did that because you, you, you read that situation exactly right. Well, you know, Kurt, I, it's funny. I didn't think you even remember that. So that's interesting that you, that that stuck out to you. Um, first, you don't have to apologize to me because um, everybody goes through their own process and I don't take it as you lying to me. Um, as much as you were protecting yourself at that time from whatever you thought was going to be the outcome if you were to come out or if you were to accept, you know, what was happening in your, in your life and your heart. But I do appreciate the apology about the second part because that was, I mean, I vividly remember that being um, a really big point of contention. And I kind of felt like I, I, I don't, I don't want to say used, but, uh, but use, I guess the best word, you know, obviously, I don't know that we need to say this for the podcast, but you and I did nothing else other than make out. <laughs> and so that was the to go oh, and establish. I, I, I already said it. I was <laughs> literally second base is where I belonged. I mean, I just was like <laughs> firmly <laughs> entrenched on second base. I don't even think you got to second base. I don't think we even did that. I literally think we just kissed all the time. <laughs> oh, Kay, it's, Kay, it's because your second base is more aggressive than my second base. <laughs> That's not true. Being able to talk through the murky depths of their friendship, and on public radio no less, it helped deepen their friendship. It just kind of reaffirmed our friendship and reminded me that, you know, it's not, it was not a one-way situation, that it affected more than just me, and uh, it had a different level to our friendship. 
What still kind of gnawed at me, though, was that these other women said no, didn't want to talk on tape. The lines in those friendships were even blurrier. And though I don't exactly know how complicated those situations were, Kay does. Because I know two of them very well. But there was a lot of hurt there. What do you do with the pain of a stalled escalator trip? Especially if it was as complicated as the gray zone that Kurt navigated. When we come back, two more friends who help us think about the ethics around sex and what good an apology can and can't do. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the John Templeton Foundation, harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn about the latest discoveries in the study of hope and optimism, intellectual humility, and free will at templeton.org. Kurt and Kay's apology went well, but I kept worrying about the other two women. Friends he believes he let on, or deceived, and maybe broke a heart. Kurt eventually did have those conversations off mic, and one went well. The other, Kurt says it didn't go that great. It was actually pretty difficult. I don't know exactly what went wrong, but I do know that apologies and sex, ugh, that's a tough combo. I reached out to some folks who know a lot about sex and apologies to try to think about this complicated situation, both from Kurt's side and his friends. I'm Quill Kukla. I'm a professor of philosophy at Georgetown University, and I'm also a Humboldt scholar at Leibniz University in Hanover in Germany. I'm Cassie Herbert. I am a professor of philosophy and women, gender, and sexuality studies at Illinois State University. Quill was Cassie's dissertation advisor at one time, but since then... I would count Quill as one of my very good friends. We have written together, we've traveled together, we have boxed together. So, in a season about friendship, it made sense to talk to them together. They both researched sexual ethics, which they explained to me as the study of what's right or wrong in regards to sex. You know, how it can go well or badly. And when we're talking about sex here, Quill has a pretty broad definition. I actually come back to something that my son said when he was eight years old. I said to him, do you even know what sex is? And he said, well, it's when two people who like one another play with each other's bodies for fun. I actually thought it was kind of a lovely definition of sex because it wasn't heteronormative and it didn't require that anybody's bit be stuck inside anybody else's bit. It was about playing with bodies for pleasure. So Kurt and his friends were playing with each other's bodies, and it was fun. It also served this other purpose, to make Kurt look straight. And for that, he wanted to apologize. But Quill says that merely using someone isn't necessarily an egregious or uncommon wrong, We use people all the time for all sorts of social reasons. A lot of people want to get married in the abstract, not to any particular person. They want to get to the top of the escalator. They want that social status of being married. Mm. And so in that sense, whoever they find to marry, they're using instrumentally to achieve a certain social goal. It's not ideal, but it's the way that sexuality goes a lot of the time. However, Quill went on to explain that, from what they can tell, the way Kurt used these women was more than just not ideal. 
I, I do think that using people just instrumentally, if they don't know that they're being used instrumentally, is wrong. So I do think that in that sense, he wronged these women, and that deserves some sort of restitution or apology. I, I agree with pretty much everything that Will just said. If they weren't communicating about what kind of sexual interaction they were mm-hmm. understanding this encounter to be, whether it was a casual hookup at a party, which it sounds like some of these were, or whether they understood it to be the beginning of a much longer term, sort of uh, more intimate and sort of more emotionally serious relationship. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they weren't on the same page and didn't have a shared understanding of what this encounter was, that's where I think that things are importantly going wrong in these cases. Which has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he's gay. Right. Right. Straight men use women to appear in a socially normative, appropriate relationship all the time. Not making it clear to the women that he was using them to perform a version of himself, that was messed up. But it's less clear how to think about the pain his friends felt when they didn't get to the next level with Kurt. Remember, some of these women went on couples trips with him, met his parents, even lived with him. So how should we think about their feelings and really anyone's uncomfortable feelings after an escalator ride unexpectedly ends? I think that we often conflate things like being disappointed with having been wronged. Um, And those just aren't the same thing. Exactly. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be incredibly heartbroken if someone rejects you. Like it can, it can be a very unpleasant experience, but it doesn't mean that the person who did the rejecting has committed some sort of moral wrong or inflicted some sort of moral harm on a person. That's a tough pill to swallow for both people, for the person in pain who wants to hold someone responsible and for the person who sees the pain and thinks it must be their fault. Even though those rides on the escalator may have ended with hurt feelings, those physical interactions genuinely meant something to Kurt. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed being close to somebody else. I, you know, the, the whole idea of, of human touch and, and um, human connection, like that felt great. And though it did get messy, that intimacy deepened his friendships in ways that he can still feel. You become really close with people in like actual physical relationships. Now those friendships, maybe because of that, are stronger. There's this one other thing about Kurt and Kay that really exemplifies how their physical connection deepened their friendship. Remember that marriage pact? That if they were still single when they turned 30, they'd marry each other? And who knows why we did that? That was not smart. (laughs) Well, Kay eventually turned 30, and by that point, she had a hunch that Kurt was gay. So she renegotiated the agreement. And so I said, we don't have to do that anymore. I said, but how about this? If I ever want to have a kid and I'm not married, you'll donate for me. And he did. Kurt donated sperm to Kay. And now she's raising a son who's genetically half Kurt. It just still makes me laugh so hard that like, out of all the relationships and things that you had and people and how far you went or whatever the case was, (laughs) we didn't go further than kissing over some candy necklaces, but we have a child together. Everyone else just had these moments with you. I'm like, well, I've got living literally his DNA right here in my house. (laughs) Kurt and Kay found a completely different path to take. 
to a sperm donation, which is a pretty big departure from the relationship escalator for many of us. But what if we imagine a world where there are no clear boundaries between sex and friendship? Where you don't feel pushed to get on the relationship escalator just because you've gotten physical with someone? What could our friendships look like then? This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One Shopping. Capital One Shopping is an online tool that instantly searches for available coupon codes and automatically applies them at checkout to make saving money easier. Just download the Capital One Shopping browser extension to your computer and let it do the work for you. It's easy, free, and you don't even need a Capital One card to use it. Capital One Shopping. What's in your wallet? Savings and available coupons vary. This message comes from NPR sponsor Lincoln Financial. Pursuing your dreams starts with financial security. Lincoln can help you get started. Whether it's protecting you and your family from life's unexpected events or planning for retirement, Lincoln can help you enjoy today while staying on track for tomorrow. Visit lfg.com slash get started to discover how Lincoln Financial Solutions can help you plan, protect, and retire. Lincoln Financial is the marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and Affiliates. Copyright 2021. Talking to Kurt and Kay and Cassie and Quill, it got me thinking about all the ways we've created borders around friendships out of fear of what might happen. Not just don't mix friendship with sex, but also other old school rules like men and women can't be friends or you can't be friends with your ex. It can all feel so restrictive. So I looked for people who were redrawing or erasing completely the lines between sex and friendship. People in queer communities, from other cultures and nationalities, and people in porn. I talked to two women who work in the porn industry as performers, producers, and activists. My name is Lotus Lane. I am Anna Fox. Lotus Lane and Anna Fox have been best friends almost as long as they've worked in the industry. The outside world can be unfriendly to sex workers, and for Lotus and Anna, their friendship is an oasis. They've forged an especially close friendship in a workplace where sex is everywhere. Of course, be forewarned, what follows is a lot of unfiltered language about sex and bodies. The conversation is really about their friendship, which is pretty unique and doesn't reflect everyone's experience in porn. And this isn't a representation of what the entire porn industry is like. So why don't we start out with how you two met? Oh, <laughs> do we remember that that moment, bitch, that we locked eyes underneath bangs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, she's got bangs. That was the first <laughs> connection point. We're like, oh, a black girl with bangs, a black girl with bangs, <laughs> who's nice and smiling at me. Anna and Lotus were on set, a massive production with lots of people shooting a variety of scenes in different areas of the studio. I was like. All by myself, I felt like I was the only Black kid in class. <laughs> yeah. There was all these girls, and all day, none of them really said anything nice to me. Um, but I don't know where Lotus came from. She just comes around the corner smiling, stares at me, and we both had the same little little cheeky little grin. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Anna and Lotus, I could tell they have very few hang-ups around sexuality or bodies. It's part of their job to be naked and have sex, so... That usual border between sex and friendship, it just doesn't exist for them. We've been around each other like 
butt naked and fucking and doing so much stuff. <laughs> just stuff where we're so deep in each other's crevices. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. You just got those friends that come over and just get naked. That's Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a direct question. Do you like having sex with each other? And if yes, what do you enjoy about it? Um, I like really enjoy having group sex with my best friend. Yay, me too. <laughs> yeah, because then I feel like I can see her having fun. I can make fun of her having fun. (laughs) And then like I can jump in and assist if necessary. I was going to say the same thing. I remember there was this one scene that I had directed with her and me and uh, Isaiah Maxwell. And it was so like pretty looking, but the whole time her and I were cracking up laughing and not very serious. (laughs) (laughs) It's really fun being like, having free fun sex with your friend there i'm glad that we can feel comfortable about that to joke around about that with each other because honestly it just makes us just comfortable in general with our sexuality i think sexuality but it feels like the rest of us like our sexuality is part of our human nature so it just feels like we're finishing being humans in front of each other (laughs) For Lotus and Anna, that seems to be a big part of what non-industry folk, aka civilians, miss about sex. Sex doesn't have to be just about pleasure or procreation. It can be a way to get to know somebody. I like to call sex like just a physical conversation. Mm, Yeah. I'm curious, Anna, how do you define sex? Definite communication. Um, I think body language is like the, the loudest language ever. They think that if we spoke this language with friends, we could create different kinds of trajectories for our friendships. Because I think if sex was a known thing amongst friends, you know, like casually, without deception, without like an expectation, it could be like, okay, we're just going to do this, but we know we're not going to make it into a relationship. All right, cool. Let's do this. You know, like it wouldn't have to be like, oh, I'm tricking you into thinking I like you and I want a relationship, but really I just want sex. Lotus and Anna say sex doesn't have to default to a step on the relationship escalator. Sometimes it can just be releasing a pressure valve and finding more friendship in the steam. I think that it may just like regulate any kind of like emotions or feelings or attractions that you may already have for each other. Because, you know, we're both bisexual. And if we were like repressed bisexual people that didn't have an outlet or we were hiding it or holding it in or we're not letting it out and like we've gotten it out. It's cool. We both know we're beautiful. We both know we're vomit sex. (laughs) So there's not like any lingering longing feelings, you know? Yeah. I think it kind of helps you become friends faster. (laughs) I know for sure that there's some people that I've had sex with that when I met them, they were like, you know, intimidating or or whatever. But like once we're on that sexual environment together, everybody's inhibitions are down and we're helping and stuff. So it kind of creates like a little camaraderie together, which I, I really think is fun. Of course, the sex that Lotus and Anna are having is often on sets where everyone is medically tested and there are so many checkpoints for consent. It's not like that on all porn sets and civilian sex definitely doesn't have that same infrastructure. But keeping those differences in mind, Lotus and Anna did have a few tips about crossing the line from feeling the sexual tension with a friend to exploring it. I would totally say to make the space appropriate for that. For my 
30th birthday, my present was to get all my friends together and fuck. And that was pretty cool. That was better than getting gift cards. To prevent hurt feelings, they say, don't just assume people want the same things you do. If you're going to have like this secret thought in the back of your mind that you're going to fall in love together and you're going to get married and go off, you need to let that friend know that's part of the thoughts that's in your brain. I I have kind of a lot of casual sex relationships with uh, some of my friends and the ones that work understand that we are having sex because we are friends and that was fun. Like it's not always thing. The circumstances for which we had sex was that moment and we had sex and that was great. The friend sexual relationships that don't work are my friends that think because we had sex, we are now dating. Like you are going to come meet my mom. Those, those are the ones that always kind of like, I have to cut ties with them because those are not my intentions. The biggest thing is getting on the same page about what you want from the interaction. Beyond that, they think it's actually pretty simple. I think if you want to fuck your friend, you should just have a good time. Life's too short to be afraid of sex. Um, you know, make sure you're safe. Make sure you're consenting. And why not? So have sex with your friends. Or don't, you know, it's a personal preference. Either way, Lotus and Anna and Kurt and Kay show that if you open up to intimacy with your friends, it doesn't have to equal disaster or marriage. You know what's funny is we've been friends for so long and realize that the requirements that people kind of set on you for a partner, we kind of found in each other. Honestly, you're like all these amazing people (laughs) all in one. And then sometimes when you fuck me, I swear you got a dick. So that's pretty cool. I got that stroke. You got that stroke. (laughs) (laughs) We're the only people that have been 100% honest with each other about sex and all these things and life. And we haven't quite found anybody else that can do it. Yeah, like this is my my life's, (laughs) for lack of better phrase, my life's greatest love. Like, it is the realest friendship and relationship I've had. There was a time that I was getting uh, in a fight with my one of my family members that was living with me. And the first person that was here was Lotus. Yes, I, I remember. I'm sorry, you like got me crying because I remember that day. I didn't even call her to ask her to come over, but before 30 seconds was up on the phone, she was in the car. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there with me through all of my kids' dad drama. Like, Anna knows what I've gone through. And Anna will not let me wallow in misery and be sad and feel sorry for myself. She will uplift me. She'll distract me. She'll like, (laughs) it's so wonderful to have a friend like this because I didn't think I would like make a real honest to goodness big career out of it. I didn't think that I would find true genuine friendships out of it. It just was an adventure I was willing to take. And I'm really glad that it paid off. No. I'm doing my makeup, bitch. You have to fuck me up. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to be my best friend forever. We're going to be old ladies getting kicked out of nursing homes because of our inappropriate stories. We try try and get one of the little orderlies in the closet with us. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get the orderly. We're going to get all of them. (laughs) Right. Come here, young man. Come here. Do you know who I used to be? (laughs) (laughs) Messy 
This story could not have been made without the help of two very important people. Producer Adelina Lancianese, who also conceived this dancey vibe I'm personally obsessed with. Thank you, Addie. And editor Raina Cohen. Raina is actually working on a book about the sort of friendship that Lotus and Anna described. A friendship so close, it's basically a partnership. Look for Raina's book in stores in the near future. We had additional production support by Brianna Scott, Alicia Chan, Joe Nixon, and Tracy Brandstrom. Alex Drewinskis mastered this episode with help from Invisibilia's technical director, Andy Huther. Fact-checking by Greta Pittenger and William Brennan. The beautiful song that you heard at the beginning of this episode is by Moses Sumney. It's called In Bloom, and it's from his album, Grey. If you liked it, go check it out. Additional thanks to Adam Goff, Thomas Liu, Kat Lonsdorf, Lauren Gonzalez, Lane Kaplan-Levinson, Ezra Paget, Jet Setting Jasmine, Maria Sanfilippo, and Ya Chow Lee. Shout out to all the listeners who wrote in with questions and stories around friendship and sex. Thank you for your generosity and curiosity. You inspired this story. To learn more about the relationship escalator and how to resist it, check out Amy Guerin's book, Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator. This season of Invisibilia is also produced by Yoe Shaw, Andrew Mambo, Luis Treas, Abby Wendell, Justine Yan, and Pablo Araguez Catori. We also had help from Micah Ratner and Jerry Holmes. Our supervising producer is Liana Simstrom, and Nicole Beamsterbor is our supervising senior producer. Neil Carruth is our senior director of programming, and our senior vice president of programming is Anya Grunman. Our theme music is by Infinity Knives, and additional music for this episode provided by Connor Moore of Seymour Sounds and Connor Lafitte. To see an original illustration for this episode and the rest of our season by Son and Zimmer, visit npr.org slash invisibilia. We'll be back next week. I'm also the more responsible one. I got us signed up for life insurance. She sure did. Like the good wifey that I am. She sure is.